Welcome to Simply PM&R, a Mayo Clinic Talks production. The simple solution for physical medicine and rehabilitation healthcare professionals, keeping up while on the go. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Bro, physiatrist in PM&R at Mayo Clinic. 2.8 million workplace injuries occurred in the U.S. last year. These injuries are typically musculoskeletal in nature and represent a major cost as far as treatment and lost work time. Work rehabilitation plays a major role in assisting these patients back to work. Today we're joined by Dr. Russ Gelfman, a colleague at Mayo Clinic and a physiatrist specializing in work rehabilitation within the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. Thanks for joining us today, Russ. Thank you for having me. So one of the confusing thing is, what's the difference between industrial rehab, occupational rehab, work rehab? Those are all terms that you might hear out there, some of which are becoming less frequently seen. Uh, a lot of these conditions started as part of workers' compensation, insurance coming into effect for the Industrial Revolution. In that sense, many of the individual workers who were injured who needed rehabilitation were working in industrial settings. So they were working in factories and things like that. Uh, an industry now is becoming less common uh, as, a, as a, a, an activity that American workers are doing. Much of this has moved to other countries. So the, the rehabilitation, though, hasn't changed because there are other occupational things that people do. So some will refer to this as occupational rehabilitation. Uh, however, probably the simplest term is just really to call it work rehabilitation because its goal is really to return people to work. So what are the common work-related injuries you see? Uh, the most common things that prevent people from going to work are still the musculoskeletal injuries. They would be by and far the most common. And that could be any of the musculoskeletal things, neck injuries, back injuries, shoulders, elbows, knees, hips, etc. Is back pain still the most common work-related injury, or is it something upper extremity with our change to repetitive use of keyboards and things like that? Back would still be the number one. So what's the goals of work rehabilitation? The goals are, are to really return an individual back to full duty employment is what you're doing. So as a specialist in this area, how do, how do you help folks move along the system? Yeah, so what we're doing in, in terms of specializing in this, the added um, medical or other talents that you need are to look at what prevents people from returning to full duty work. And by that, we think of the biopsychosocial model. And so you have to become very familiar, not only the fact that it exists, which most people understand, but how to address different biopsychosocial restraints that people have from being able to return to normal duty work. You know, this is an area that I didn't appreciate or wasn't really taught well in my residency program. How does one get into this branch of PM&R, or where do you learn about this? Yeah. That's actually a very good question, and it's still probably one of the shortcomings even in of our specialty is that uh, a large number of these people need rehabilitation, but our training for it is oftentimes less than optimal. Uh, for myself, it started out with just from a practice perspective, you know, working in an occupational health clinic and seeing what things look like. If you want to, however, just do this as a part of your PM&R practice, uh, the next step would be kind of understanding what workers' compensation is. 
Um, there are articles out there that you can read just what is workers' compensation insurance to understand. Also, the AMA puts out a, a textbook called the uh, evaluate the guides to the um, evaluation of workability and return to work. That's a very good text to read through to get a little flavor for this. Uh, there will be a, an issue of the PMNR clinics coming out here in the near future that will have information regarding disability of various types and work disability will be included in that. Is there such a thing as preventative work rehabilitation? There's really not what you think of as rehabilitation as being preventive. Uh, we do know that people that are more fit or that take jobs that are within their capacities are less likely to have injuries. Uh, so the only area that comes to mind is that a lot of employers that have jobs that are very um, require a lot of physical capacity to do, so they're heavy lifting or they're very strenuous jobs, will do pre-placement functional capacity evaluations. Uh, and those are after a person's hired, you can actually test whether or not they meet the essential functions of a job if you know those. And oftentimes therapists will be the ones that will administer those. So if someone's not meeting the job requirements, they can either be, you know, strengthened or exercised up to that. Exactly. And most of them allow that to, to happen. And, and a number of people are retested when they don't pass those. And indeed, they're more fit. Wow. Fascinating. You know, as someone who sees um, work-related injuries, I frequently struggle with, you know, determining what work restrictions a patient would benefit from. And do you have any guidelines or any recommendations on how to do that? And I realize it's a wide range of problems, back pain, arm pain, but do you have any rules of thumb that you can kind of share with us? Yes. So what I usually, the way I think of this is difficult because there's not uh, uh, an easily determined way to figure out what a person at a specific time is able to do other than specifically testing it, which is oftentimes not feasible in the office. Um, as I usually explain it, we really look at three components. This would also be in that, in that book from the AMA that I had uh, mentioned earlier, and that's that we think of return to work in the form of either risk, capacity, or tolerance. So risk would be the risk of going back to a specific job duty. So let's say that you saw somebody and you put them on a muscle relaxant, but part of their job functions involve driving a truck or working with heavy equipment that could cause risk for people to do that. So they would have a restriction of not doing that activity just because of there's a risk to the public or to the person of doing it. The other is the capacity, and oftentimes those, again, are things that you would estimate, but if a person has a foot drop, let's say, maybe this is somebody that you wouldn't want to operate foot pedals if they required that, so that would be an easy restriction to write. The other becomes the issue of tolerance. Those are the restrictions that are harder to write and the more common ones. And that's that you, you injure your back and you just can't do it because it hurts too much to do it. Those are harder to measure. Um, I usually explain that if it's that severe, you have that much doubt, there's at least one paper out there showing that people with acute back injuries, maybe more than 80% of them, can do occasional activities at the 10-pound or less level. Um, again, it still means that not all of them can, so you have to use your judgment. And some people you just avoid those activities if you think it's that severe. Uh, the other way that's the most helpful is to actually test a person's capacities. So most programs where therapists are interested in work rehabilitation are able to tell you what a person can lift and carry. Those are usually part of the assessments that are going on routinely. 
as part of it, and you can use that to transfer over to writing restrictions. Are you a physiatrist preparing for your upcoming PM&R Part 2 oral boards? Do you need to brush up on your examination skills? Through a combination of didactic lecture, case vignettes, optional mock oral examinations, and online modules, the PM&R Board Review course can help guide your preparation. This vital course will be held on the historic Mayo Clinic campus in downtown Rochester, Minnesota every spring just prior to the American Board of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation oral examinations. For complete course information and to receive an email when registration is open, visit ce.mayo.edu slash PMR. So if you're, if you're trying to write restrictions, and this is maybe my own naivete, how do you know what a person does at work? Yes. How do you know what their, what their job title is? Yeah, and the ideal thing then, so if you're going to do a lot of this, there really isn't a substitute for actually going into job places. So uh, frequently, if, you, if you're doing this as, as a form of living and you do it frequently, employers love to have physicians come and tour their places normally. Um, it was very rare that you'd have somebody that say, no, I don't want you to come. And in fact, they appreciate that contact. So the easiest way is to actually go see what people do, um, actually take factory tours if you're in an industrial environment. Um, you can oftentimes even go to um, places where we actually test people that are like firefighters and stuff and see what's required of those types of positions. Um, there's nothing that replaces that quite as well. If you're interested in looking at specific job descriptions, you certainly can do that. Oftentimes you can get that from an employer where they actually bring uh, a description of their job and that'll give you an idea of what they do. Uh, if you want to know kind of the, the just how much energy is involved in these, there are some little there's some generic stuff that's out there. Um, again, it's not entirely helpful. If you want to know how hard a job is, there's a site that I think was put out by Pacific Lutheran University where they included in in the, the areas where we're measuring Mets for things. They also include jobs and what the Mets would typically be. So they estimate on that. There's a nice list out there for that. So it's a matter of looking around and finding out what, when people have described jobs, what you can find for that. The firefighter, uh, sorry, the, the police uh, uh, organization will hopefully be coming out with a set of standards that sort of describe what are the essential functions of their job. So it sounds like some of this is available online, that I could go and find the, the information about a generalized title of a yeah, and you could try looking for those. Um, like I said, the other easiest way is if you, in a non-general sense, if you have a specific employer, is to see do they have anything or not. Now, you mentioned testing, testing a patient to find out if they can return to their normal job. Is, is that what we refer to as a functional capacity assessment? Does that go by other terms? Yes, yeah, so functional capacity evaluations are something that are often done to try to objectively get a feeling for what a person can do um, in, in terms of their actual physical capacities. And they're done for a lot of different reasons. Uh, you can do them as in a pre-placement sense. 
where if you know exactly what the job requires, you could test somebody before they start a job and see if they actually meet the essential functions of a position. Uh, an employer can do that after they've already offered them a position, so that is, is legally defensible. Uh, some of these do these uh, in the form of case closure when there's uh, uh, things going on between attorneys, maybe for some representing the injured worker, some representing an insurer, and they're, they're debating over what the actual capacities of a person are. So sometimes they're done in that context. But the most common reason we do it is vocationally, and it's probably where it's the most helpful. So somebody that fully participates in a functional capacity, particularly after they've recovered or gone through a rehabilitation program to try to get them back to their full capacity, um, can actually measure what those capacities are. And that would be the most common thing we see with that. So uh, you just brought up something. Uh, you know, you have your physician component, you have your therapy component. Are there other healthcare practitioners that actually fit within that model for the work rehabilitation program? Yes, so there, there could be many individuals in programs. There's no standard work rehabilitation program. Some of them look more like pain rehab programs uh, where you have a behavioral psychologist involved. It can be extremely helpful. Uh, behavioral nursing can be involved in these programs. Physical and occupational therapy and also people that have a vocational, vocational counselors or people that have that training can be involved. Usually when we're treating somebody, we also engage other parts of the system. In Minnesota, we have a really unique uh, system where the vocational side of, uh, of, of returning a worker to work involves the use of something we call a QRC or a Qualified Rehabilitation Consultant. And that's actually a position or, or, or a designation that the state has put in place. So they have some licensing requirements and they have some continuing medical education and they're regulated like any other profession would be where they help serve as the go-between between like what's going on at the employment and what's going on in the medical field to make sure people don't get lost in the system. Great. When do you determine a patient has reached maximum medical improvement? What does that mean? So maximum medical improvement Probably the most useful definition from when we look at it from a work perspective is when a person's really reached their maximum functional abilities. Uh, so once you've reached that and it's kind of plateaued, then a person really has maximally improved from a vocational standpoint in terms of a return to work. Uh, sometimes you don't know that if the actual underlying medical condition may take longer to recover. So sometimes people will hit a temporary plateau because the natural recovery of their medical condition takes a little bit longer. Uh, but beyond that aspect of it, it really is when they hit a functional plateau is really when you think they're at maximum medical improvement. Now, does that always equate to a partial permanent disability after the maximum medical improvement has been reached? Uh, it doesn't. The, really, the two terms mean completely different things. So in, in a sense, it's true that you can hit maximum medical improvement and not be like things used to be. So you have some ongoing impairment, all right, and that could happen. And that doesn't prevent you from assessing maximum medical improvement because that person may never get that back. So that's a different kind of concept, so to speak. When we do the disability ratings, they actually don't have a lot of meaning from a medical perspective, which is why it's a unique area of practice. Hmm. Um, what you're doing when you do that is you're really providing a method for 
compensation uh, and benefits in that sense. So when you say somebody's not at their full capacities, there are different systems for trying to assess the loss of earnings or estimate that or convert those over. So many states will have a formula for saying, you know, you have a 10%, you multiply that by then this formula, and it turns into a dollar amount in terms of what a person will get because they're not normal. Um, and the and compensating people for loss of what happened as part of their occupation dates way back to, to the Viking era or before even, depending on what sources you read. So it used to be in, even in the Viking days, if somebody lost an arm as part of serving on a Viking ship, they were paid so many so much for, for losing that. So the concept of reimbursing somebody for their loss due to an occupational activity is, is not new at all. Um, and this just formalizes it in the modern system is really all it's doing. Uh, it also can sometimes turn into to other benefits. Individuals that have higher levels of disability under some systems um, will actually get other benefits. So you might get retraining or, or job search benefits depending on how high your disability is. Fascinating. We've been talking about work rehabilitation with Dr. Russ Gelfman a colleague at Mayo Clinic and a physiatrist specializing in work rehabilitation within the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. Thanks for your time, Russ. Thanks for having me. Today's episode was sponsored by Mayo Clinic Online CME, offering on-demand medical education in a wide variety of specialties. This includes the Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation Online Board Review course. Enter your boards with confidence, whether it's your first time through or for recertification. Learn on your own time and earn credit. Register today at ce.mayo.edu slash PMRBR online.